What's going on? Welcome into the Sharp Angle Podcast. Thanks for joining us on a Tuesday. Tuesday the 19th. Man, we are flying through January. It's already the 19th. Have you been Happy New year recently? <laughs> I got Happy New year a couple days ago. I seriously did. It's like, oh, okay, come on. We're in the third week of January now. It's, it's time to move on. We are zooming into 2021. All right, on today's show, uh, Concept Tuesday. So uh, like we do every Tuesday, go over some conceptual things. And uh, the theme of today's show is going to be bankroll management, money management, right? It's not enough to know who to bet on. It's, it's, it's the other half of the equation is, okay, now how much do you bet on any given team? And uh, on that note, it's the same thing with investing. You know, not, not enough to know which stock you want to invest in, but how much of your portfolio do you want to be directed to that one stock? So uh, if you guys are interested in investing, we'll uh, play back into an interview on today's show. I uh, caught up earlier today with Nick McCollum, the director of growth at a company called Passive. Uh, it's P-A-S-S-I-V. Uh, you can check them out online, passive.com. But it's, you know, it's a uh, they help you organize a portfolio, direct how much money you want to go to any specific ETF or uh, index fund or stock or anything like that. So if you guys like to invest, I'd certainly check them out online, passive.com. And if maybe that's something that has intimidated you before, or you have been too apprehensive to get involved in the, in the, in the stock market or anything like that, and, and, and any kind of investing, if you guys are interested... Uh, check them out online, passive.com. And we will play that interview back here in just a few minutes. And actually, today is the, uh, the another theme of today's show is going to be playing things back because we have about 45 minutes of a podcast from several months ago that we did on bankroll management. We talk about uh, different betting strategies, whether you bet in units or Kelly Criterion or some other non-favorable ones and how to invest, how to get involved with sports books. So we'll play that back. And I know I can hear you guys out there right now. Ah, Talia, why are you playing a podcast back? It's old stuff. It's not old stuff. You know, if, you, if you guys haven't heard it before, it's great information. If you did hear this podcast before, you know it's good to refresh. But we came out with this several months ago, and I think sports betting is now legal in four or five additional states, You know, more than it was uh, back then. And the listenership has grown. It's really blown up the last couple of months. So I know we have a bunch of new listeners that haven't heard this yet. So we will play that back. But first, let's get to this interview. Uh, I caught up again, Nick McCollum, the Director of Growth at Passive, online, Passive.com. That's P-A-S-S-I-V.com on Twitter at Passive Team. Uh, but I caught up with Nick McCollum, talked to him about his company and uh, how Passive can help all you guys out there. So let's play that back right now, my interview with Nick McCollum. All right, let's get to him. He is Nick McCollum, the Director of Growth at Passive, and we'll talk all about what Passive is and where you can find them here coming up. But uh, Nick, thanks for joining the show. Thanks for having me on. It's a pleasure to be here. Yeah, it's uh, good to have you. And, you know, we, we, we talk all the time about smart money management, you know, because it doesn't matter what you're talking about in life in general, right? Whether it's investing in, in the market, investing in sports, just uh, holding money in general, you always want to be smart with the way that you invest your money and what you do with it. So uh, tell everybody about Passive. What is Passive and uh, what, what's, the, what's the goal of Passive? Passive is an online portfolio management software platform. And I think the easiest way to understand what Passive does is to, I guess, recognize the problem that we're trying to solve for people. So if you think about the average investor who's managing money for their family, they generally have you know, a couple different accounts and they have a sense of what they want to invest in in those accounts. 
and what proportions they want to invest into each of the investments within that account. So to, I guess, get more specific, the original prototype of Passive was built by one of our co-founders, Brendan Wood. And the problem that he had was he was trying to manage his own retirement account. He was trying to manage his wife's retirement account. And he was also trying to manage their uh, education accounts for a couple of his kids. Now, each of those accounts had a slightly different target asset allocation that he wanted to maintain. And, you know, doing all of that and keeping all that organized was really time consuming. What he did originally was he inputted all of the information into spreadsheets and he did calculations within those spreadsheets that told him what he needed to buy or sell to stay in line with his target allocations. Now, that works, but the problem with spreadsheets is that they're really, you know, labor intensive. You have to put in all of the information by hand and then once that's done, you have to actually log into your online broker and put in all of the trades that you want to make manually one by one. The original prototype of Passive was a Python script that read Brendan's account holdings and told him what he needed to buy or sell. So that saved him from doing manual data entry, but it still kind of had this added layer of friction where he had to go and place the trades one by one. Today, and, and, and I, I, I can attest that 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 does take forever. I mean, it, it it it's you know it takes a long time just to decide what you want to do with it, right? And then to go on, log in, sign on, to go one by one and do each of the, it that takes a long time. It really does. So long, so long. Yeah. So passive today kind of solved that problem for you because what passive allows you to do is it pairs directly with your brokerage account and reads your holdings. And once that's done, passive allows you to set a target portfolio. So that's just a mix of different investments and weights that you want to be invested in. It could be something as simple as I want to be invested 100% in the S&P 500 index fund, or it could be really complex with a bunch of different investments and different weights. Once you set a target portfolio, passive does all of the complicated calculations to determine what you need to buy or sell to get invested in that target portfolio. And passive allows you to rebalance into it with one click. So we send the trades to your broker, they execute the trades, and then they send us back trade confirmation so that you know that it was done. Once all of that's done and your portfolio is on track, Passive monitors your portfolio periodically and sends you emails whenever it's necessary for you to log in and rebalance, which again, just takes one click with Passive. Now, if, if, if people a, want to, to keep, stay involved and check, I mean, do they have access online? Will they get a login information to obviously, you know, go and, and, and check if they want to just see every morning how everything's doing? Can they do that? Yeah. Yeah. You definitely don't have to rebalance every time you log in. Passive is a web application. So just like, you know, Facebook or Instagram or, or any of the other kind of major websites, you kind of just get login information and you can log in and view your performance and your holdings at, at any time. Um, we also have lots of other kind of more advanced features, but I would say that like the core feature is the ability to set a target portfolio and rebalance into that portfolio with one click whenever you'd like. That makes it easy. Certainly makes it easy. Now, what if you have, uh, we're talking to a Nick McCollum, Director of Growth at Passive. Uh, check him out online, Passive.com, and give him a follow on Twitter, at Passive Team. That's P-A-S-S-I-V Team. Uh, is this more for people who want to just get a portfolio, relax, you know, not worry about trading, or do you guys deal also with people who want to be more active, want to switch things up every couple weeks? You know, how does that work? Like many software platforms, Passive is used in a you know a crazy number of different ways by different people. I would say, you know, just to give you a couple examples of how people use us, like the most basic would just be someone who wants to invest in a single ETF. And they might use Passive to get notified whenever cash hits their account so that they can invest it immediately. And it doesn't, you know, sit idly in their account, earning them no returns. So that's 
that's kind of like the most basic use case. At the other end of the spectrum, we have in, very active investors who are using Tesla to create complicated portfolios of direct indexing where they, you know, they're doing lots of fundamental research on stocks. They pick what stocks that they want to invest in. And then passive is a portfolio management tool that they can use to make sure that none of their stock holdings become too large of a proportion of their portfolio. So, you know, if you think about a, an active investor who wants to equal weight across 20 different stocks that they've researched, all, each one of those stocks, assuming there's 20 of them and they equal weight, will be about 5% of the portfolio. Now, with passive, you could kind of use our portfolio accuracy met, uh, metric and our drift notifications so that whenever one of those stocks becomes too large of a proportion of your portfolio because it increases in price or maybe because your other holdings decrease in price, then Passive would notify you and you can log into Rebalance with one click. Does that make sense? It does. And it, it, it makes it easy because... Uh, this is something that is very complicated. And you guys take that out of the hands of a lot of people. And, and we talk all the time on the show about how it, it's so important how you go about spending the money, right? If, if we're going to talk about uh, maybe, you know, sports, uh, it, it's one thing to, to, to decide what game you're betting on. It's another to say, okay, now how much do we put on this game? It's one thing to decide you want a certain stock, a certain uh, index fund or certain ETF, whatever it may be, but then how much do you not put in that? What percentage of your por- of your portfolio do you want to put in there? You know, and to have someone like you guys, like Passive, a- able to help out, I think that's that that does a lot for people, and it, it's something that can be complex, but it's so important and it's crucial that you get this part right. So I think you guys play a big part, and anyone can uh, w- would certainly benefit from from using you guys. So I think you certainly offer a lot. Yeah, I mean, our mission as a company and as a product is to make, you know, DIY investing accessible to everyone. So we recognize that investing is hard and there's lots of complexity in it. So to the extent that we can remove that complexity and create a really simple and easy to use wealth management platform, that's kind of like our goal, I guess. And, and you know, we, one of the things that I think a lot of our users enjoy is that Passive provides like a centralized dashboard to manage everything in one place. So you know, let's say if you had some investments at TD Ameritrade and you had some other investments at Interactive Brokers, and maybe you had some other investments at some other brokerages as well. Uh, you know, Passive allows you to connect to all of them and manage your entire oh, wow, portfolio of investable assets from one place. No, that that's great. That makes it so easy. I'm looking. I'm I'm checking it out right now online. Yeah, it looks like the dashboard is. Uh, very, you know, simple, easy to use. You got all the information right there. Uh, got all the info for the target portfolio. So um, this this looks this looks uh, this looks really cool. How can people uh, learn more about you guys and contact you? Yeah, if you want to see kind of like uh, some descriptions about the product, learn about our features, or even sign up and create an account, just go to our website. Our website is passive.com. That's p-a-s-s-i-v.com. And uh, if you'd like a demo of the product, or you have any more specific questions that I could help answer for you, feel free to just send me an email. My email is nick.mccullum at passive.com. Nick McCollum, the director of growth. Yeah, this is this is awesome, man. Automate your investments. Uh, save time by letting passive calculate and execute the trades needed to keep your portfolio balanced. So, look, a lot of this again. If you're out there and this seems overwhelming and you don't trade too often and it's something that seems intimidating, you have to have your money working for you. And there's no better way to do that than to start putting it into some different stocks, putting it into some different avenues where you think that that money can grow. And, uh, you know, Passive and, and companies like this can help you. And I highly recommend Passive.com. Uh, so if you want to get involved, if you're hands-on, perfect. If not, if you want uh, to 
to automate some things and, and, and be more hands off. Perfect. You know, either way it's going to work for you. So Nick, I appreciate you coming on and uh, yeah, take care. Hopefully we, we can uh, talk soon. Yeah. Thanks Tyler. I appreciate you having me on the show. All right, uh, good stuff there. Once again, Nick McCollum, the Director of Growth at Passive. Check him out online, Passive.com. Appreciate him coming on, giving us a few minutes. And it's, you know, like I talked about with him, I I know a lot of you out there may invest a little bit here or there, but it's been scary in the stock market recently with everything going on politically and with, with COVID. It's been so up and down. But a lot of times we need a company like that to point us in the right direction, to help us build a portfolio, to help groom and manage that portfolio. So uh, thanks to Nick McCollum for coming on and uh, certainly check him out online, passive.com. All right, let's move on to the next part of the show. It is Money Management Tuesday. Well, it's Concept Tuesday. We're talking money management. And uh, we're going to play back a... Uh, a, a portion of a po- the a podcast from a couple months ago, and we talked about how to approach investing in sports, how to approach money management, how to go about directing your money in sports books and putting money in, taking money out when you should, when you should, and all that kind of stuff. So let's play that back right now. Uh, bankroll management. Now, managing a bankroll, it's it's very very difficult. Anyone who's bet with more than five outs or so, you understand this. And the thing that makes it so difficult is that it's it's inevitable that over the course of time, some accounts will go up, other accounts will go down. I mean, let's just say you have $1,000 in five different accounts. It's almost guaranteed. It's inevitable. One of them is going to creep up to $2,000 and another one is going to get whittled down to 100 bucks. Now, it may seem like an easy solution. Okay, let's take the money out of the out. Of the out. We're at, we have $2,000 and just deposit some of that into the website where we have $100 and bet away. But it's never that easy. It usually takes time to get the money out. There's a, there's a process. Logistically, it's not as easy as just transferring money around. Okay, well, that's fine. I'll just deposit again into my account with $100. Well, that's again, not ideal either because now you're throwing off your total bankroll. I call that betting inflation. And yeah, that, that's a sharp angle term here. That's coined right here on the show. And what betting inflation is, is when you have a certain bankroll, again, for this example, $5,000 bankroll, $1,000 in five different websites. Well, if one of the websites gets down to 100 bucks and you just willy-nilly put another $500 into that site, now your overall bankroll is not $5,000. It's $5,500. So you don't want to be doing that. You don't want to be changing your overall bankroll and injecting inflation into your outs. You're artificially injecting money into your account. And in turn, that changes the overall bankroll, which inevitably is going to change your bet sizes. So dealing with the ebbs and flows is very, very difficult. You can't just deposit when you want to. And it's a lot harder than just taking money out of a a, a winning account and putting it in an account you're losing in. The other obvious setback is that when your money is in these books, well, that's the only thing you can spend that money on. Bets from that specific sports book. It doesn't give you a lot of options to do things with your money. So look, to solve this, you've got to look ahead. You've got to see where your action is, see where your action is going, and take a lot of that money out preemptively. If you're up 2000 or if you're up a couple thousand dollars in one account, if you started with a grand, you're up to two grand, maybe 2,500. Take that money out proactively. Don't wait until you need that money. Take it out beforehand 
keep it on the side, and then you can inject it into one of your um, one of your other outs without adjusting the inflation. So I think that you should always be proactively taking money out of the winning accounts. And on the same hand, have some of your bankroll in an account that's not a sports book. That may, your, may be your bank account. That may be whatever. Okay, Have it in an account that's not a sports book. So if something happens to where one of your accounts gets whittled down to 100 bucks, now you can inject money in there. So the idea would be instead of starting with $1,000 in five different accounts, Start with 900 in five different accounts and just have 500 bucks on the side. Or excuse me. Uh, uh, yeah, yeah. 500 bucks on the side. $100 from each account. That That's very doable. Now you can put that 500 into any account when necessary and you're not adjusting your overall bankroll. You're not adding inflation. So again, two things. Preemptively taking money out is very beneficial because if you have, if you need to put it anywhere, you'll have it ready to go. And second of all, have some of your bankroll in an account that's not a sports book. So if you need to inject some of your role into a specific book, you can do that. And last, always stick to your preferred betting system. Now, we're, we're going to talk about betting systems here in a minute, but this is important. No matter how you bet, whether it's most of you are betting in units from what I can see on Twitter, or if it's Kelly Criterion, you've got to stick to your system. So let's go over some betting systems. We're going to talk about several here, some of which I do not recommend. And let's start off with the less effective systems, the first of which is the Martingale. A lot of, a lot of you have probably heard of several of these systems. But the Martingale system, which was introduced in 1934 by Paul Levy, goes something like this. Every time you lose one of your bets, you double your bet. Therefore... Over the course of a certain amount of outcomes, you're expected to break even on your original bet. And these are effective in you know 50-50 bets, like betting on red or black at the roulette wheel. So if you do so, if you bet on black at the roulette wheel and it comes up red and you and you, you spent a dollar, we'll say the minimums are a dollar per bet, you put a dollar down, bet on black, and up comes red. Well, the next bet you put down two dollars. If you lose that, the next bet you put down $4. If you lose that, the next bet you put down $8. Now, on the surface, it seems like it can't be beaten. Well, every time you lose, you just make your money back up. But the downside here is that people wildly underestimate how often these numbers show up five, six, seven, eight, nine times in a row, or red show up nine times in a row, or black show up nine times in a row. Like this is a very, very real thing. If you guys don't believe me, sit there and flip a coin, uh, uh, a quarter a thousand times in a row. You're going to get several, several times where you get 10 blacks in a row, 10 reds in a row. It's not that uncommon or at least as uncommon as most people uh, perceive it to be. As a matter of fact, Part of the motivation, again, I'd said uh, Paul Levy introduced this in 1934. He did not name this. This was worked on the, the uh, Martingale system was worked on for a long time by groups of individuals led by Joseph Leo Dube. This was in the early 1900s, okay? And actually, if you go back and look at the Encyclopedia of Mathematics in the 1930s, you'll see a lot of uh, uh, proof that Joseph Leo Dube and his 
staff, when they were coming up with the Martingale system, part of their motivation for the work was to show the impossibility of successful betting strategies in games of chance. So actually, this whole thing in the Martingale system was derived and created because a group of people were trying to prove that you can't win in games of chance. So you combine the fact with everyone really, really underestimates how much, you know, reds are going to come up in a certain amount of time, blacks come up in a row. This is not a winning system because over the course of time, it's a very, very low ceiling. It's it's very uh, uh, high risk, low reward. The risk is that if you lose six times in a row, now it's one, two, four dollars, eight dollars, 16, 32 bucks. Now you're risking on that seventh roll, $64 just to get back your $1. So your risk, your risk profile is crazy high with the Martingale betting system. And the, the, the benefit is that the best you'll do over the course of time is, is, is break even. And here's the thing, with Martingale and the next system we're going to be talking about, the upside is very little. Because if you win in Martingale, if you put down a dollar, win that initial, right? It comes out uh, black, right? Martingale system does not have you bet $2 the next roll. It has you bet a dollar again. So if you get on a heater and you hit 10 reds in a row or 10 blacks in a row, you've won $10. If for some reason it goes the other way and you've lost 10 blacks in a row, that means you are now down a total of $512. Let's look at each side. You win 10 times in a row, you're up 10 bucks. You lose 10 times in a row, you're down $512. And that's only betting one on $1 units. One, two, four, eight, 16, so on and so forth. So clearly, Martingale is not an ideal betting system, but it's so funny. If you, if you go to YouTube or you know something like that, you'll find a lot of Martingale proponents. I watched a video last night doing some prep for this, and it's. <laughs> I wish I could remember. You know what? We're going to actually look it up real quick so I can give it to you guys. Hang on. All right. It's called on YouTube, Roulette Win. The win is in all caps. Roulette Win. Every time, strategy two accelerated Martingale. And you guys have to watch this because, again, roulette win every time, strategy two accelerated Martingale. That's the title on YouTube. And, I mean, it's, 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 it's funny. This guy is a goofball, and he's trying to explain his modified version, in quotes, his modified version of the Martingale system and why it is so effective. Just watch the video. You'll get a kick out of it. This guy is a, he's a goofball, and he's completely off here because, again, he's assuming, and everyone else who plays Martingale strategy assumes, oh, come on, what are the odds of getting, you know, eight reds in a row. But the misstep in logic here is not that you're going for eight reds in a row. It's that you won't get whatever you're betting on, in this case, the black, eight times in a row. Because on a roulette wheel, it's not an exactly 50-50 split. Every 50-50 payout in Vegas is not exactly 50-50. There's a reason for that. So if you're playing roulette, like which most people apply this betting strategy to, or if you want to use it in sports betting, be my guest. But um, we're going to stick with a simple example for today. If you don't hit black eight times in a row, that doesn't mean it was all reds. It could have been a couple double zeros in there. So you're overestimating the likelihood of not hitting eight in a row 
based on these small factors. Now, again, I want to say this. It is very unlikely you're going to hit eight in a row of either one, but it's certainly not unheard of. And anybody going to the roulette table with $1,000 ready to play in the Martingale system, there's going to be a lot more times than not you're walking away losing that $1,000. So it's not a good option. Again, the creators of this system did so to prove to all you guys it doesn't work, yet y'all still seem, well, some of you still want to seem to use the Martingale betting system. And I guarantee you, over the course of time, it is a losing system. Now let's move on to the Fibonacci betting uh, betting system. This is very similar to Martingale. The only difference with Fibonacci is you're not doubling your bet every time. Now the Fibonacci se- uh, the Fibonacci sequence is what the Fibonacci betting system is uh, kind of based on. It was created in uh, the, the, the early 1200s by Leonardo Fibonacci. He was born in 1170. This dude was a genius. Uh, and he contributed a lot to the world of math. But the main thing he contributed was the Fibonacci sequence. And it goes something like this. If you add the sum of two numbers to the previous number, you'll get the next number in the sequence. So uh, 1, 1, 2, 3, 5, 8, 13. This is the Fibonacci sequence. Why? Because uh, 1 plus 1 equals 2. 2 plus 1 equals 3, 3 plus 2 equals 5, 5 plus 3 equals 8, 8 plus 5 equals 13, 13 plus 8 equals 21. Okay, so that's how you get the numbers. Again, the Fibonacci sequence goes 1, 1, 2, 3, 5, 8, 13, 21, 34, and so on. Now, it's a similar strategy to Martingale, but the only difference here is you're getting diminishing returns when you get your money back. If you make it to roll seven or eight and you keep losing, you're not going to make back all of your money like you would in Martingale. You're only going to make back a portion of it. For example, if you get to roll number one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, if you've lost nine in a row and you're on roll ten, Using the Fibonacci sequence, you would be at a $55 bet. If you're on the Martingale system, you would be at a $512 bet. So obviously, way lower risk profile with Fibonacci. But the, the, the difference is, it's diminishing returns. So if you win that $55 bet on the 10th spin, you still lost well over, I think it's something like $34 total. So it's kind of hedging, making sure you're not betting as much. But this is a, a, a terribly uh, scared way to approach betting. It's far worse than Martingale because not only are you... Uh, well, it, it, it's, it's worse than Martingale because at least in Martingale, if you hit one of those numbers later on, which is, is going to happen in, in every night at every casino, seven, eight in a row reds, eight in a row blacks, when that happens in Martingale at least you're getting your money back. With Fibonacci, you're slowly bleeding yourself out. And the winning numbers, right, the dollar for each or the one unit for each is the same increase. So if you're winning 10 Martingale bets, that's 10 bucks. If you win 10 Fibonacci bets, that's 10 bucks. But the ceiling comes down with Fibonacci in terms of the money you're wasting. But if you happen to hit on one of the Martingales, you're making all your money back compared to Fibonacci. Now, this is negligible. The difference between Martingale and Fibonacci, both are poor, both are losing over the long run, and both certainly have no chance of beating any, any casino games, much less sports betting games. Both of those systems, Martingale and Fibonacci, are high risk, low reward. You would have to go on quite a hot streak to even make a little bit of money betting those systems. Because again, you don't double your bet if you win. You keep betting in single units. So if you win a dollar, you don't bet two the next time. You bet one. It's a very low ceiling. 
And if you happen to get on a few unlucky runs, you're now spending close to your entire bankroll to get that $1 back. These systems are not good. Let's move on to the third system, another very bad system. This is called the let it ride system. Pretty self-explanatory. You double your bet every time you win and go for broke. This is a very high, uh, this is a very high risk, but high reward also. It's very high risk because the odds of you winning even three 50% bets in a row is 12.5%. And if you're betting with $100 units, that's $700 in profit every three bets and then the 100 you started with, so 800 total. So the reward is certainly high and you can, if you get on a hot streak, really run that money up quickly. But the issue is it only takes one loss for you to lose everything. The let it ride better is risking 100% of his bankroll every single bet. And for my good betters out there, you know there's no such thing as a sure thing. So if you're risking 100% of your bankroll every time, yeah, you're going to have some big wins, but that one loss comes around, comes around and you're done. So the let it ride is clearly not an ideal system. I would absolutely prefer Martin Geller Fibonacci to that. If we had to pick between the three, let it ride would certainly be my last choice. No doubt about it. Now we're getting to the two profitable systems, fixed unit betting and Kelly Criterion. Let's start with fixed unit betting. The fixed unit betting system is probably, well, probably, it is for sure the most common public betting system out there. If you guys spend any time on Twitter, this is what 99% of Twitter touts use. One units, uh, five unit play, so on and so forth. Now, the fixed unit betting system is still profitable. It actually is. If you go back to our podcast, or excuse me, if you go to our Twitter, at Sharp Angle Pod, we posted a picture, a graph of the average expected outcomes from all of these different systems, except for Let It Ride because it's ridiculous. But we put we posted a graph of the outcomes of all these different systems on our uh, Twitter. Go check it out at Sharp Angle Pod. The post was about a week and a half ago. But my point is, a fixed unit betting system, if you are a uh, a winning better and, and and a good handicapper, it can be profitable over the long run. The only issue is it's not nearly as profitable as the Kelly Criterion. But a fixed, a fixed unit betting system goes something like this. You divide your bankroll into units. A lot of people will suggest about 5% or so of your bankroll. So if you have a $1,000 bankroll, your units will be $50. And a lot of bettors will bet on unit systems. So if you bet a game, it's a one-unit bet, right? Classic bets are one unit. If you feel pretty good about a game, you might make it a two- or three-unit bet. Hell, if you want to make it the absolute max can't-miss play of the year, we see a lot of five- and ten-unit bets on Twitter, okay? So the idea is you're betting within that increment that you've established before you even started betting. That is your unit. And units are... are uh, unique to each and every one of us. It's based on our starting bankroll and a unit is, you know, a unit could be 500 bucks for one person. It could be $5 for another person. But the idea is you bet in your unit. So if you bet a two unit game and your units are five bucks, it's a $10 bet. If you bet a two unit game and your units are 500 bucks, it's a thousand dollar bet. The fixed unit betting system is a winning one as long as you stick to fixed units. What I was just explaining when you start betting three units, five units, 10 units is this is betters trying to integrate ideas of Kelly Criterion 
in a, in a fixed unit system, but it just doesn't work. And here's why. If you're going to increase your bets past one unit, there needs to be more nuance in how much those bets should increase. Just to, just to take it from one unit, one unit to two units is lazy, sloppy, and mathematically not accurate at all. Because if you have an edge, the idea that you're at your edge would suddenly double your bet is, is a negative EV. Because over the long run, what's going to happen is you're going to stack your bets up and you won't know whether it's a great bet that you have a lot on or whether it's a poor bet. And if you're consistently betting 10 units on games you feel really good about, but maybe your edge requires that you bet 8.6 units or 7.4 units instead of 10, over the long run, you're going to lose more money than you needed to because you don't have a more nuanced way of saying this is exactly how much it should be. You rarely, almost never, never, never see people on Twitter say this is going to be a 1.7 unit bet. It's either a one unit bet or a two unit bet. And the idea that there's no nuance to where you should accurately invest based on your edge makes no sense to me. If we have a 1% edge, we want to make a different bet compared to if we had a 1.7% edge. And again, we want to make a different bet from those if we have a 2.3% edge. It's a sliding scale. It's not like it goes from one unit to two units and that's a clean bet or a clean differentiation. It needs to be much more nuanced than that. So actually, I greatly reject the idea of betting 10-unit play of the days because you're risky. You don't know the risk profile. You don't know what that bet should be. You just feel really good about it. So 10-unit uh, bet or 8-unit uh, bet or 5-unit uh, bet. It, there needs to be a reason, a specific mathematical reason as to why you're increasing those, those bets and those units. But in general, if you stick to single unit bets, it is a profitable system in the long run. You just can't get crazy and start betting all different kinds of money. And that brings us to the Kelly Criterion, the single most profitable betting system that exists today. The Kelly Criterion was invented in 1956 by L, excuse me, by J.L. Kelly Jr. If you guys are interested, he worked at uh, Bell Labs, by the way. If you guys are interested in learning about the Kelly Criterion, I posted a link on Twitter to the book, or at least to the Audible version of the book. It's called Fortune's Formula. It's a great book. And actually, it's like the most in-depth look at the Kelly Criterion. The entire book is about the Kelly Formula. So if you guys are interested in this, I highly recommend reading or listening to Fortune's Formula. But again, uh, it was invented in the 1950s. And the thing with Kelly Criterion is it maximizes profits while minimizing losses. And actually, it's the only formula that will instruct you not to make a bet when the odds aren't right. Any of, the, of these other systems, the fixed unit betting system, the let it ride, Fibonacci Martingale, you can stroll into a casino, sit down at a blackjack table, a roulette table, and bet away. Well, if you walk into a blackjack table and you sit down and plug the numbers into Kelly Criterion, you know what the Kelly Criterion is going to tell you to do? get up and walk away because <laughs> it's not a winning bet. So this is why the Kelly Criterion is inherently better than the others. The formula, the algorithm, which it, which it gives you the information, it'll tell you when you just walk away. Just don't make a bet. And on that same note, it will let you know exactly how much of your bankroll you should be betting based on your perceived edge. Now, betting in Kelly Criterion comes down to the, depend the dependence of two things your edge and your bankroll. 
Now, this is where it gets kind of tricky because everything. This is why Kelly Criterion is really only for uh, advanced betters to to extremely advanced betters because everything in Kelly boils down to the accuracy of your edge. If you think that your team that you're betting on has a 57% chance to win the game and they are charging as if they have a 55% chance to win the game, you now have a 2% edge. The difference in a 2% edge, 57%, and a 3% edge, 58%, is quite substantial. I mean, in some bankrolls, let's say you have a $10,000 bankroll, that difference in 1% could mean hundreds of dollars difference in your bet. So you have to have a very, very accurate way of producing the edge and, and the outcome of the game. If you don't and you're just guessing, don't use Kelly Criterion because you're going to waste your money. But if you have a good way of determining edge and exactly how much edge you have over any given bet, there's no better system than Kelly Criterion. Because a fixed unit betting system if a unit is 5% of your bankroll and you're making a, I don't know, 10 unit bet, that's now 50% of your bankroll, right? That's a lot of your bankroll when you don't know if that's the correct amount to be betting. What Kelly Criterion will do is if it's appropriate to bet half your bankroll, it'll say bet half your bankroll. If it's appropriate to bet uh, 0.42% of your bankroll, it'll give you that exact number. So we're not working on this fixed unit system to where we have to go from one to two to three to whatever units. It's far more nuanced and it's far more accurate for your risk profile in any given bet. So as long as you can accurately estimate within a couple percentage uh, decimal points your edge and you know what your total bankroll is, you can get a Kelly Criterion number easy. And this is not a tough formula. Matter of fact, go online. There are several public ways to use Kelly Criterion. It's not that difficult of a system. What it comes down to is implement, implementing it the correct way. So when we talk about bankroll management, clearly Kelly Criterion and fixed unit betting, and fixed unit betting are the best systems. No doubt about it. Both are winning. It's just over the long run, you're going to win more with Kelly Criterion. Let's give an example. If you bet the same amount of, of money over one year, and this is kind of uh, uh, arbitrary, but just stick with me. Over a year, you might make $100,000 in Kelly Criterion. For the fixed unit betting system, you may make 80000 85000 So it's not that different after one year. You may even make ninety to 95000 So things are pretty close there for a while. But after the course of 10 years... The Kelly Criterion, if it made $10 million, the fixed unit betting system would have made about $1 million. Now, here's the thing. Is there anything wrong with a million-dollar profit over 10 years? Of course not. But we're talking about maximizing your profitability. And if you use Kelly Criterion over the long run, it is exponentially better than the fixed unit betting system. So in terms of bankroll management, I would use for sure, if you're a new better... I, stick to the fixed units because you don't want to, A, risk a lot more money than you should because you're off on some of your projections. And B, the fixed unit betting system is much more, uh, you're not riding heavy waves. You know, if you have a couple losses, fine. If you have a couple wins, great. But it's much more of a steady increase compared to Kelly Criterion where you're going to hit some ups and you're going to hit some downs. The let it ride system, the Fibonacci system, and the Martingale system are not winning. If you're looking at good bankroll management, do not implement any of those at all. Now, let's move on from systems. Let's talk more about some nuanced ideas. 
These ideas are how to attack the books, how to find certain edges here or there. And this is kind of a, a paradoxical thing because look, if I give away all my ideas, all my edges, all my strategies, well, there won't be anything left for me to bet on. <laughs> you know, that's the thing with sports betting information. The more everyone else knows, it's harder for the individuals like me to win. So when I give examples on how to take advantage of the sports book, I will often give examples from past events to give you guys an idea how to approach bet, uh, beating these books, right? Use these ideas and try and apply them in things today. Let me give you an example. Jumping on an early angle, okay? When, the, when, when Major League Baseball had a sudden spike in scoring, whenever that was last year, a couple years ago, um, there was speculation on ESPN, on some of the major outlets. What's going on, you know? There was rumors of doctored baseballs. There were rumors of, of juice baths, right? No one knew exactly what was going on, but we knew the numbers were up. They were showing consistently, okay? And about three months after the spike, well, Rob Manfred came out and said, yeah, 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 you guys are right. There's a new manufacturing process, and the baseballs were produced to be more, quote, live. Well, if you picked up on this trend and started betting this trend in the three months before Rob Manfred made an announcement, you could have actually capitalized and made some good money because you're betting into a real angle, not a trend, but an angle that the public hasn't caught up to yet. We knew something was off, but the books aren't going to fully adjust their prices, especially on over-unders, if they have a hunch. We need to know what's going on. And until Rob Manfred said for sure that, that the baseballs were being produced different, the lines didn't change concrete until then. So if you noticed this, this angle, and if you started to bet into it in the couple months leading up to Mon Rob Manfred announcing it, what you could have done, the smartest thing that you could have done, would have been to round robin every game into every other game that day. Because here's the thing, mathematically, if your angle was right and your, your angle was correct and something was going on to impact scoring, if the chances of you winning one of your bets was increased, now the chances of you winning all of your bets is increased. So by round robining them and parlaying essentially each game with every other game and, and, and give, coming up with every combination you can of those days games... We as bettors are using parlay odds as a weapon. You know, this is a time when you should be making parlays and round robins. Again, because the chances of one being right means the chances of them all being correct or increased. All of this would happen because you noticed and bet into an angle that wasn't being picked up by the public yet. All of this because you had a hunch and you bet into it covering most of the overs in those parlays and winning a lot of money. So my point here is when you see an angle, it's not enough just to make a couple bets into it. You have to use the tools at your disposal to maximize your profits. If we notice this, this increase in scoring and we just make a single bet on every game, we're really minimizing our chance to, 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 to make a lot of money. Because you're approaching it from that sort of steady but, but, but calm increase. Now, we still would have won the majority of our bets, but would we have maximized our profit? No. So that's an example of how you can use an angle and how you can use the tools at your disposal 
to max your profit and guarantee that you're taking down the house edge as much as possible. Now let's move on to an example that you guys can actually use today. This is an example of how using math is often the way to see the truth and the best way to bet. And while things may seem counterintuitive that we're about to talk about, this is all, all mathematically proven and really the best way to go about maximizing money for bonuses. So let's talk about bonuses and how you guys can start using uh, bonuses to create somewhat of an edge for yourself against a sports book. Bonuses. Now, this is for 95% of bettors. If, if you got a couple guys out there who know how to beat the house, know how to get an edge, if you're truly winning better, bonuses are pretty easy. You just get the winning bets or you just get the bonus. You make your winning bets until you hit your rollover limit and then you can take your money out. But for probably the majority of people, I mean, probably every person <laughs> who I'm talking to today who's listening it's rare to have a huge edge against a sports book, right? So the way that you actually try and approach these bonuses is not to grind out the bonus into a uh, into an amount that you can take out or to you hit your rollover. It's trying to hit big with bonuses. Let's go into detail here. Most bettors don't have an edge, like a true edge consistently. So that by definition makes the vast majority of bettors about 50-50 sports bettors. Most people will win about half their bets over the long run. And that is talking about the vast majority of people. They'll win really close to 50% of their bets over a long given amount of time. But typical bets offer about a 5% hold, which means that the typical better will lose about 5% of his or her bankroll every time they go through a sequence of betting the bankroll. So let's look at the expected outcome for the average bonus. You guys get on whatever your favorite website is and they're offering a bonus. They'll match your deposit and there's a 20 times rollover, which is actually quite common. It's, it's actually pretty average in the industry. So you put in 500, you get 500 back and now you have a thousand in your account. The rules of the sports book stipulate before you take that money out, you have to spend or gamble $10,000 and then you hit your rollover limit. Then you can take that money out. Well, the 20 times rollover, again, requires we bet $10,000. And with a 5% hold, your expected outcome after betting $10,000, you expect to lose 500 bucks. That's 5%. Which happens to be the exact amount of the bonus itself. And that's expecting a 5% hold for every bet, which is actually very unlikely, especially with some of the new domestic books. But my point is, these bonuses aren't meant to give you more money. They're meant to incentivize you to make more bets to, in turn, lose more money. The sports books are set up to force you to lose. So in this scenario, you put in 500, you get 500 back. Most people, over the course of betting that $10,000, will either lose their money or best case is pretty much end up breaking even because of that 5% hold. They're expecting, they being the sports books, are expecting to make that money back. As a matter of fact, they pretty much calculate it in when they give you that $500 bonus up front. So what do we do? How do we handle that $500 bonus and the 500 cash we have in there to maximize our profits? Hold on, because this is going to seem very counterintuitive, but it makes sense. You bet it all. 
you bet the $1,000 on an underdog. Now, I want to say this, and I will reiterate this later. This strategy is for those who are comfortable spending, losing $500. If you have $500 and let's face it, several rounds of $500 to make this work, this is for sure the best system. But for many of you out there, you know, getting the $500 and grinding it, that's much safer. So if $500 is a lot of money and you can't wait lose that, don't follow this system. But for those who can lose 500, who can afford it, who can risk to do it, this is certainly the best outcome. So let's play this out. We have $1,000 in our account. We will bet the $1,000 on an underdog. Betting the entire amount here is key. We want to max out the chance we go for broke. Now, the example I'm going to be giving is from a book titled uh, The Logic of Sports Betting. It's by Ed Miller and uh, Matthew uh, Davidow. Very good book. And the reason I'm using an example from their book is because this is very nuanced, very complicated. It would just be so much easier for you guys to give you this example. Let's say in this in this example, you've put in 500, you've gotten 500 back in your bonus, you have $1,000 in your account. We're going to bet that $1,000 on a plus 200 underdog. Now let's say, hypothetically speaking, that underdog has a 31% chance to win the game. That means 69% of the time, you'll lose your money. You'll bust the account. 31% of the time, you'll win. So the theoretical loss for that bet, the theoretical loss for that bet is actually only negative $70. You can calculate that by doing negative 0.69 times 1,000 plus 0.31 times 2,000. Again, that equals negative $70 theoretical loss every time. Now, if you lose that first bet... (laughs) I understand. It certainly won't feel like a $71 theoretical loss. It'll feel like you just lost 500 goddamn dollars. I understand that. But my point is that this is the expected outcome. This is what the math tells us we should do. It's not zero or negative 500. It's only negative $70. Again, the other 31% of the time, we now have $3,000 in our bankroll with $9,000 left to bet. And 31% is not impossible, okay? So let's follow our analogy along. We now hit that bet and we have $3,000 in our bankroll or not our bankroll, we'll say our account, whatever specific account this is. You started with 1,000, now you have 3,000. The the win of $2,000 because it was a plus 200 underdog and the original $1,000. We have 9,000 left to bet in our rollover. So what do we do? We do it again. We bet the $3,000 on a plus 200 underdog. And again, if you've made it to this point and you won your first bet 31% of the time, and guys, 31% is not impossible, you will now be left with $9,000 in your account. Now, I want to clarify, this isn't 31 total percent of the time. After you won that first bet, it doesn't change your odds for hitting the second plus 200 bet so long as your capping is correct. So following our example here, we are left with $9,000 in our bankroll and we have $6,000 left to gamble to fulfill our rollover. So we do it again. We go for broke. Well, not necessarily go for broke because we've got some some leeway because we have 9,000, we need to spend 6,000. So based on the hold, 
if you bet that last $6,000, we are left with a total theoretical loss of minus $158.16 compared to the original way where your theoretical loss is minus $500. You lost theoretically way less than the $500 in theoretical hold of the sportsbook's expected return for the bonus. Look, theoretical outcome is now $841 instead of the $500. Let me, let me, let me put this a different way. I understand that about 90% of the time, 90.4% of the time, you lose your original $500 with my system that I just gave you. 90.4% of the time, you lose that. It's gone. The bonus is gone. Your money's gone. That's why we said you have to be comfortable losing that money. But 9.6% of the time, you end up with $21,000 starting from a $500 deposit. So on average, the math says we will end up with an average of $841 with my method compared to $500 with the slow grind method. Because now let's say if losing $500 is a big deal to you again, go for the safe thing, go for the grinding. Because if you can, if you can find some good bets, get that hold potentially down to 4%, well, now you're you know, now you can make a couple bucks, you know? So now, now it's a completely different game. So if you're looking to just make that 500 last, you're, you're a, a $5, $10 better. You want to make that, you know, stretch that through the season. Fine. That that's great. It's whatever you're looking for. I would not recommend going for broke if that's your goal, but if you can afford it, if you're willing to lose that 500 and want to implement this idea, the second way I explained, although it may sound insane, is certainly the best EV route to go. More often, the more often you go for broke, the less often you have to give the sports book their expected losses back. It's really effective for betters to do this. Again, 90.4% of the time doing this, you'll lose the original 500, but 9.6% of the time, you'll end up with 21 grand, an average of ending up with $841. The other way, you put in 500, you get 500 back, and you grind that $10,000 out, losing the 5% hold, you're going to end up with $500 the other way, compared to 841 on average, my way. So the average is up there. You can see that clearly this is the best system. I mean, clearly... If you have the money, this is the best way to approach it because over the long run, your your chances of making that money in 10% is not impossible. Guys, 9.6% is not an impossible thing. And it's just, look, overall, this is just a way to show all of you out there that there are different ways to approach this. You know, the, the, the whole idea of picking games and going 55% over the long run it's just, it's so hard to do. It's so hard to beat the book just picking games. And I know if you spend any time on Twitter, you may think otherwise because all these guys go in 80%, but I promise you, it's not enough just to do what they're doing. If you're going to truly make money betting sports, you have to approach things from a very, very different point of view. You have to get a creative. You have to get nuanced. You can't just bet one to five units every game and make money. You've got to have different ways to attack sports books. So to kind of wrap everything up, managing a bankroll is not easy. Anyone who's got multiple outs understands this. And if you're going to appropriately handle your money in all your books, do a couple things. Proactively take money out of the winning uh, out of the winning books. 
and have a portion of your money that's determined to be in your bankroll, not in a sportsbook account. So you can quickly and easily get it in the sportsbook accounts. Once you've learned how to manipulate and kind of work your money on different levels and on different outs, find a good system that works for you. The fixed unit betting system, the Kelly Criterion, whatever it is, find one that you are comfortable with. Then find angles to bet into and do so creatively. Like we talked about the baseball idea, right? Round robin in games, if you sense there's something going on with the scoring and the outcome of one game would mean all of your games are more likely to hit, it's getting creative. It's, it's doing something within the rules that a sports book would never really uh, think that you would do or assume you would do, but we are using it because it's tool at our disposal and we can maximize our profits by betting into certain angles that way. And last, the bonuses, you know, that's just an example the, the, the angles thing with baseball, an example. The bonuses, just an example. But my point to everyone out there is if you start looking at this from a different lens, a different angle, you can start doing things that will maximize your profits and start making more money and, in turn, increase your edge. Right? When I talk about doing this crazy system where you go for broke with the bonus, the reason we got there was because I didn't want to just get the money and, and let it ride. I wanted to see, is there a way? We can do to the sports books what they're trying to do to us. And the answer is yes. Because with that system I gave you guys, by going for broke, we actually take away the expected losses that the house gets from us. So it's not just enough to make games and, and, and to make a couple picks and to let those go. You've got to always be tuned into the books, tuned into the moving lines, tuned into your bank account, and more importantly, tuned into the rules, knowing how you can exploit different books legally and increase your profit. All right, good stuff there. And uh, hopefully you guys learned a little bit on Money Management Tuesday. Some fun there. Special thanks to uh, Nick McCollum for coming on as well. Enjoyed the time talking to him. Whatever you guys have today, good luck. We'll talk to you tomorrow on the Sharp Angle Podcast.